Right. So welcome to another episode of Dive into Fintech. As usual, when we don't get to deal with everything during the webinar, we roll over and we see if we can answer some of the questions that we didn't get to and then unearth some of the things that we didn't have time to, to talk about. So I'm joined again by Ez Britton and Dean Chowdhury. Thank you both very much for being with us. So we just had our webinar, obviously, on what jobs will not be here in five years' time. Are the cyborgs going to take us over? Do we all have to become coders? Is it all about compliance? And we've kind of distilled that down to no. We're pretty safe for the next five years or so. If we're, if we're looking at some of the tech skills, uh, Java, Python, if we're looking at some of the quote-unquote softer skills that we know we now need to to We've experienced it over the last year, obviously, haven't we? That they're, they're part of our banking and finance journey. One thing we didn't get a lot of time to talk about is confidence. And I really want, we just caught it at the end of our webinar. Now, whether we're entering the market or whether we're shifting, and maybe even more so when we're shifting at a later part of our career, we can learn all the skills and you all shared uh, resources that we can go to from a tech perspective and from what we do at LIBF, for example, on our careers journey. But I'd like to just talk about confidence because whatever the jobs are that are there or aren't there in five years time, if I don't feel like I'm able or that job is for me or I'm going to be able to reskill, transfer, adjust, adapt, it doesn't matter because I'm not going to get that job. So can we talk a little bit about that? We don't have, but we have a shorter time on, on, the, on the podcast. I'm either one would like to kick off on that. I just want to talk about confidence, confidence in my tech skills, confidence in my soft skills, confidence in the job market. I, I mean, I'll start this Nadim here. Um, from an from a educational careers perspective, it, it's something that I've been battling with for since I started in this profession. It's students may have amazing grades, very technically adapt, uh, they'll be able to get their firsts and the two ones, but there is this underlying fear of not being good enough, especially if you're not from backgrounds where you've traditionally gone into our industry. Uh, what I have found um, that has really worked um, in our space is access to mentoring opportunities, especially from those people who've made it in the field and can give back. Um, and not short-term interventions, but actually working with a young person from the ages of 18 until 21 when they're traditionally at university. Uh, it's been very powerful for the individual involved, but from a mentee's perspective as well, it's been amazing growth experience for them. And in fact, sometimes there's a lot of reverse mentoring going on as well. So that's one intervention uh, that I know in our institution has worked, but also across higher education. Okay. And as... Uh, you uh, obviously uh, instill confidence, hopefully instill confidence in, in you know, people that are doing the training with you as well, because they're not only getting the skills, but they're getting a supportive and maybe more of an advocacy and an active advocacy environment as well. I know when I was uh, at Grand Thornton, that's the first time that I actually experienced advocacy and action because I'd been self-employed for such a long time. Changed my whole perspective on my career. So from your, your point, yeah, so you're absolutely right. And that's one, one of the reasons why Code Untapped adopted this Innovation Labs hackathon approach to um, upskilling. And one of the things that we really focused on was bringing together groups of people from diverse, diverse technology backgrounds, but then putting them in front of real employers with a real problem and helping them 
work through the challenges over the course of a day of digging into that problem, coming up with solutions, building some kind of prototype around that, and then putting together a pitch deck to pitch the solution back. So I'm a firm believer that in order to, to really learn, A, it's a good thing to try and teach it, but B, you've got to try and solve a real problem. And it's only through that activity of actually trying to apply that thinking to solving a problem that you gain the deep understanding that you need. And you gain that element of, of confidence that we've touched on because one of the key things we try to do with our innovation labs is keep it collaborative. Whilst there was an element of uh, competition, of course, I think it's healthy, but it was always with a view to collaborate and help. I believe the best types of competition are the ones where if you fall behind, trip over whilst racing with someone else, they stop, pick you up, and then you carry on going again, right? And that is very much how we operated. And with, without that level of um, immersement in solving an issue, you just don't develop the skill set or the confidence that you really need. And, um, you know, I, I've experienced it myself. People will often look at, uh, I touched on this in the talk, that things I've achieved and gone, wow, this guy is supremely confident. However, I failed, right? I, I talked about um, not wanting to apply to Google back when I was um, at the, in uh, the investment banking space, even though I'd spent 10 years as a developer, purely because I just didn't see that I would be able to get a job there. I just didn't see the point. What, would, what, was, what was the reason for me going through it? And it's only through now experiencing and understanding the level of trial and error it takes to get into a place like Google, for example. I wish I could go back and say to my younger self and say, look, it's going to take you three or four times. You're, you're going to fail the first time. They've got lead engineers who've tried eight times to get into Google before they got in. So just give it a shot, learn, try again. And the funny thing is that's the crux of being a startup founder. We know as a startup founder, you're almost certainly going to have to pivot. You're going to fail, you're going to pivot. You're going to fail, you're going yeah. to pivot until you get there. But when we look at finding work and jobs, we take a completely different approach, which is I've only got one shot and I've got to get it right. And that's a problem. I, I, would, I, no, I, would no. I would absolutely add to what as you've just said about that, that one shot thing and I, I think specific groups find it find have their specific challenges one of the things I found especially with um, my female students they've only got about 30% on, on our degree programs but in general they won't apply for jobs unless they feel like they've met like 90% or, or more of, of the job description whereas some of my male students, oh, 30%, I can, I can do, I'm just going to apply. So I, th I think those kind of issues, you know, the differences in, in how sort of genders perceive certain types of roles also need to be, need to be addressed. Um, and that conversation has been going on for more than 10 years now. So, and I still don't think universities, you know, we, we're trying our best, but um, that's why I'm, I'm a huge believer in, you know, women in finance networks, other types of, support around around gender peace is going to be important mm. i i agree with you and i think that i've seen it as you know you both know from yeah. this point of view where people say to me why don't women actually try and get more money why don't they ask for what they need and we have this whole conversation around women being risk averse which is obviously not the case and it's it's a much it's a much deeper uh subject but the networks for me and i'm glad they're there but they actually have to do what they say on the tin and women have to do the same thing for other women. So it's not, you can't just say it, you actually have to do it. 
right? And you should be giving people a leg up in an active way and we should not be protective of our own spaces mm. all the time. And, and we're all on human, I get it. But these things actually have to, they have to, you know, you have to walk the talk if you're going to be in part of this, these groups. And I actually think obviously with STEM training, which is something that in some countries we see, uh, we're doing some work in Oman, you know, many young women are much uh, ahead of us in terms of STEM training. And we're trying here to really push it out, right? Mm -hmm. With, with uh, Anne-Marie and with Dr. Sue and, you know, everyone in the UK is trying to push out the STEM training for, for girls. But is, is that something, should we be doing more at that young age to get girls in this case into STEM training so that when it comes to having some tech skills, they feel more comfortable with it and then they can work in the soft skills? Yeah, I, I absolutely think there, there there needs to be. I find it fascinating because um, I watched um, Hidden Figures not so long ago, the story of the, um, of the black female coders at NASA. And I found that story so interesting when you look at the fact that back then, you know, one of the first Fortran program managers in NASA was a black woman, right? And actually historically, um, programmers were lot. There was a massive percentage of programmers that were women back in the day, because it was largely mathematics based, and it was actually the transition to video game led development and de video game driven developers that drove this big shift in masculinity and approach to video games and to sorry not to video games to programming. And this is where this idea that video games aren't, the, sorry, programming isn't for women has largely come about from. But if you actually look back historically, that absolutely was not the case. Um, and it, it frustrates me no end when you get into these stupid debates with people about whether women can be programmers. I'm like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course they can be. <laughs> there was a time when they were on par or there were more of them than us. And it's only because we got into shooty go blam video games that that stopped <laughs> right? but that's not that's, that's not the way it should be absolutely shouldn't be and there are some fantastic organizations one you met you forgot about was coding black females another mm. fantastic organization which literally does what it says on the tin mm -hmm. but i i 100 agree there needs to be more support there needs to, i'm a big believer it's not enough to just open the door you actually have to pull people through it because you can open the doorway and I don't know if you've got cats, but I've got a cat. She'll be meowing at the door. You'll open it and she'll just sit there and look at you. And sometimes you've got to push her through it. <laughs> and then she'll go on and go and do whatever it is she wants to do. And I, I genuinely believe that because of a lot of these inherent um, barriers in society, there are people out there who go, look, I can see the doorway, right? You've opened it for me. Fantastic. But there's nothing for me on the other side of that door. So you have to guide them through. It is not enough just to extend a hand. You have to actively pull people through. And whether that's through, as Nadim's talked about, mentoring, whether it's through volunteering, whether it's creating your own organization that just gives a little bit of time, right? You can be a nonprofit, give a little bit of time on a Saturday. You do a virtual office hours once a month where you just speak to people and give them some advice and guidance and mentoring. You know, it doesn't take much to do it. Mm -hmm. These things are all possible. And I think we need more of that. Mm. You, I, and I'm listening to both of you thinking about also what Ant said uh, from Lloyd's on the, on the previous, on the webinar. And actually all large organizations have 
as we just discussed against the fintech, more budget, more people, more time, more of a, um, a worn in way of having a career path, mm. uh, metrics, you know, po points where you can touch and learn and move on. Should we be looking to the larger organizations actually to take much more of a responsible role again in helping people to open and go through the doors in a, a comfortable, confident and safe way? I want to say safe because we talk about startups having places to fail. You know, if you're, if you're internal, we can fail and we have the money. If you're, if you're in a moonshot, you can fail and you can have the money. Should we be mm -hmm. saying to employees, okay, you can fail and we're still going to pay you so you have the money, but we want you to experiment. So step over the threshold and experiment in our larger financial institutions. It's a really difficult one because I want to say on the face of it, yes, absolutely. But then it's a question of, well, how do you, how do you provide that safe environment within these larger organizations where you have a career ladder? And it's where people are afraid about, it's that visibility piece, isn't it? And it's how do you ensure that that visibility is positive? And I think part of it is cultural. In the US, it's far more acceptable to fail. Even in the startup space, it is far more acceptable to fail. And I believe it's the way that we learn. It's, it's our biggest superpower, right? The ability to reflect back on why something didn't work. Mm. You learn far more from failure than you do from success. When you succeed, it feels good, but you don't really learn why you succeeded. <laughs> you just know that that worked, that worked, that worked. Keep doing it, right? Yeah. And that's great. But then once life throws a curveball at you, you can't adapt. And it's that failing that teaches you how to adapt to change. Mm -hmm. And it's that adaption that is so critically important as we grow. I mean, no one could have predicted that my career would have spent five years as a software developer in Java, five years as a contractor in Switzerland in .NET, five years as a CTO in a fintech back in London, and now five years as an investor for a venture capital fund. And I grew up in Southeast London and went to a school in, near Lewisham, right? You know, there was no way any of that was going to prepare me for it. So I think we need to do more around encouraging that experimentation, around giving people that safe space to learn. Google famously had their, you know, was it their half day on Wednesday where developers could explore and experiment mm. with things. But I think we need to give people those opportunities to do projects where failure is almost an expectation of the project right and it's a it's a value adds to the business as mm. opposed to part of its core mission and that gives people that it, that opportunity to build a portfolio of projects we encourage this in art and and video games and all sorts have a portfolio but we don't encourage it of people who are working through their internal career ladders in a business yet when they want promotion they are expected to have visibility across the entire company and this is part of the challenge i think it's and actually nadine we see it globally right because we do a lot of training in uh, in singapore or asia other parts of asia we do it in Uzbekistan, panama latin we're everywhere right and the, your, the culture, as you say, is going to be different and people feel that they need to you know, be the best they can be. So from your perspective, and actually I'm listening to us thinking, you know, our, our courses, we have some that are coming up soon on the digital center that are going to be this blend of a bit of tech and a bit of, of commercial. Is that something that we look at at LIBF? Absolutely. I'm... The just just to take the conversation back a little bit because I've been reflecting on what Ez was saying, and you know we're we're going through a pandemic. We're just about to come out of it. Um, 
as a career practitioner, as a career coach, I've been thinking, you know, what's going on right now with our students? What's going on with people in, in general in financial services? Leadership and empathy need to go hand in hand. And those, those people who run organizations now need to be incredibly aware that, you know, skills is important. The well-being piece, right, is going to be even more important, especially in the short run. So I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but I, but I think that should sit somewhere within the whole space of skills development. And, you know, people are uncomfortable talking about if they're not okay. So I think that element needs to be in the conversation around, around skills and leaders need to be able to lead with empathy as well. Um, what do we do at LIBF? Absolutely. In all of our courses, we have those soft skills embedded. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question. It's, it's interesting because we see a very global perspective, right? It's not just the US or the UK. Yeah. We actually see a lot of the world. And we have a, quite a, a wide age spread in the training that we do at LIBF. And as I said, we're university, so we're seeing people at that level. We're seeing people on the exec ed level. We're seeing people on the post-grad level. And then we do some of the work that we do with, with schools. And each group is facing a different challenge. Um, but what you're talking about and what we've been talking about today in terms of confidence, in terms of wellness, in terms of uh, giving people some space just to recover almost, right? At the same time as we have this expectation on ourselves to learn more skills and to be more competitive, we had a period of time where we could have been upskilling during uncertainty, but that only lasted for a little bit because, you know, where human nature is, says, yeah, I'm great in the beginning. And then I'm just feeling quite stressed because life is very stressful. And now that we're coming out the other side of it, and I think all of the conversation that we had on the webinar, yeah. what came across to me was some of the things that we're doing now and some of the technologies we're doing now and the roles that you're in now will be here in five years. Relax. Look at places that you can add to, enhance, adapt, transfer. But remember to be kind and aware of everybody around you and you at the same time. I couldn't have put it better myself. I think that's absolutely the right way forward. Thank you very much for being with us, Nadim and Ez. And everyone, I uh, hope you're going to subscribe to us. Listen in the next time. Come to the webinars and then the, the dive into FinTech After Hours. We're always getting to the meat of the matter and we always want to get you involved.